bitch is bad and bullshit. Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Erin. And I'm Bailey. And we are doing most of this podcast solo today, or I guess the two of us. <laughs> As a duo. <laughs> uh, Erica is recording um, a video project right now, just outside the door. It's very so, exciting. So hopefully she can join us for parts of this later. Yeah. Um, but uh, in the meantime, Did you remember the tickets? Oh, 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 my goodness. Oh, this is the problem with audio play on a website. I know. You know what? If you have a website, don't fucking audio play your shit. Autoplay. Autoplay, yeah. (laughs) I hate that. I hate it. It's really annoying. It's really annoying. Anyway, how are you, Erin? What have you been up to this week? Um, I'm good. I found out that I had a B12 deficiency from my doctor. Oh my god. So I've been taking B12 supplements, but now, but when before I slept all the time, now I just sleep like garbage. Oh no! Well, <laughs> you're like part of my world now. So. The sleeping like garbage world. I don't know what to do, but uh, I think we'll just tough it out. Maybe my body needs to get used to it and everything. Yeah. Um, I also went this week to um, the Kim's Convenience Tour. Oh, fun. So Kim, Kim Kim's Convenience is a sitcom on the CBC, and it is Canada's number one comedy. Yes. Uh, it's about a Korean family, and they're centered around kind of their family interactions and based in their convenience store that they own. And the, the daughter, I grew up with her. Oh, cool. Yeah, we were best friends from, like, kindergarten to third grade. Amazing. So, and then she moved away, moved back. We went to high school together. We, we weren't really friends, but like we, you know, we're friendly. Yeah. So I got to see her. It was really cool. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and it was really great to see that uh, the event was sold out. There were like 700 seats. Holy, that's so cool. Yeah, it was really great uh, to see her um, getting to do what she wants, but also seeing people supportive of. Um, Seeing different groups on TV. Yeah. You know, it just goes to show that this conversation that's going on in Hollywood about, oh, well, you know, that person's not known, or who's the big Asian celebrity? No one wants to watch Asians on TV or Mm -hmm. in movies. Mm -hmm. Is fucking bullshit. Yeah, exactly. Although I will say it was very bizarre being in an auditorium full of, like, mostly white people. Oh, yeah. Um... It was very strange, and the woman beside me was older and white, and the, the, uh, one of the stars of the show, who was kind of the moderator of the discussion, made jokes about, oh, like, oh, look at all these white people, they look the same, ha ha ha, I'm so racist, which I thought was hilarious, but um, he's like, oh, you guys go to Asia, you think everyone looks the same, he's like, yeah. the woman beside me, she's like, oh, well, I went to Scotland last year, and like, I thought everyone looked like me. And I was like, bitch, please. Like, everyone here looks like you anyway. <laughs> like, in Scotland, there's, like, a certain a certain look. Yeah, she's like, a certain was look like, to the white people of Scotland. Yeah, she's like, everyone had, like, the same skin tone as me. And I was like, what? I was like, oh, yeah. And it was one of those things that we talk about on the podcast all the time about how wh- people of color have to make sure yeah. that white people are comfortable with this bullshit that they're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um... Super she weird. also said, oh, I, and I heard the uh, 
the man who plays the dad, he uses a Korean accent in the in the show. She's like, I heard his real voice, and it's very disarming and like <laughs> disarming because it's not because it's not accented. Oh and I was God. like, okay, it really disarms me when Asian people don't have accents. Cool. <laughs> I didn't know what to say. I was like, oh yeah, hmm, great. Great. Well, that's cool. (laughs) (laughs) There were some positives and negatives about the experience, but generally positives. And I'm so excited. Season two, we saw the first two episodes. Super funny. Check it out. You can see them all for free on the CBC. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I love the CBC. Uh, Because you are a grandma. (laughs) Because I'm a grandma. Schitt's Creek is also really funny. It is, yes. And Baroness Von Sketch is obviously, like, in my opinion, one of the funniest shows ever made. Yeah. Like, I, I watched, I think I've watched all of the Baroness Von Sketch on the CBC Player, like, probably two or three times an episode. Well, you know how wow. to repeat watch shows. You do. <laughs> and you're always pointing to me to Baroness Von Sketch things, and I'm like, I don't know what this But they're is. so funny. They're yeah. so funny. They do such a good job of, like, really <laughs> capturing the experience of women. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Every time I see the clips, they're always enjoyable. Um, but you had cool. a big week. I had a big week. Yeah. I did like a lot of uh, media about my sobriety piece, which is exciting. And I'm grateful for the, all of that. It was also like, I don't know, I have like a little bit of imposter syndrome because like, like I don't go to AA or anything right. like that. I just like decided not to drink. I haven't called myself an alcoholic. Like I would definitely say that I have like like a problem drinker but I haven't been like hey I'm Bailey and I'm an alcoholic and I also haven't decided if I'll never drink again so like like I don't know yeah like I'm sure like a a celebratory glass of champagne at a wedding maybe yeah or yeah whatever exactly like maybe I don't know or maybe not I don't know I just like anyway it's been it's been interesting yeah it was really interesting seeing some of the conversation around um sharing your piece that was picked up by The Citizen and The Mm -hmm. Sun in Ottawa Mm -hmm. um, and your interview on the CBC. Yeah. Uh, And so I shared the the Citizen piece. Right. And that kind of generated a bit of discussion. Um, But it's interesting to see, one, people more and more, like, of our peers Mm -hmm. saying that they have either stopped or have considered not drinking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And that those who aren't drinking have kind of noticed the same things you have yeah. about alcohol and women. Yeah. Um, but also, I shared my piece, no, like your piece, no, on my Facebook, knowing that there were people in my feed who share those very same things that you talk about. Yeah. Like the Pinterest quotes about motherhood yeah. and wine. And, yeah. Oh, wine Wednesday. Oh, da 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 Yeah. And not one of them commented or liked the post oh interesting yeah that's really interesting yeah yeah like I I haven't noticed because I I did get so much support so like it, that's been really wonderful and yeah like a lot of people wrote me and they're like I'm sober too but like I just didn't even know that they were sober like I think just because not very many people are talking about it and when I was talking to the CBC producer about it before I went on the show she was like is there anything we shouldn't ask about or like do you mind talking about the last day that you had to drink or like and I was like, no, like, I will talk about all of it. Like, I don't know. Like, I I was so, like, like, I felt so full of anxiety and shame when I was blackout that, like, now, 
reflecting on that and talking about it, like, I don't have any shame about that. Like, I want to talk about it. I think it's good that we talk about those things. Um, and, yeah, like, I think it was funny when she was, like, so, like, I said I don't go to AA or whatever, but I said how I downloaded that app that counts the days for mm-hmm. me and, like, all these podcasts about sobriety. And she was, like, that's so millennial. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, like, I want to be, like, in a group, but not with people. <laughs> like, I want to be, like, by myself, but supportive. <laughs> I want to be in an <laughs> online community. Yeah, exactly. Or I don't have to see anyone. I don't want to actually, like, hang out with people. I just, just... want to do it from the comfort of my bed. <laughs> exactly. In the bath. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, in the bath. I just, like, check in. Like, I don't have to actually go to an AA meeting. I still get the chips. I just check in on my phone. And I'm like, I'm there. I'm good. <laughs> anyway so so yeah so it's been it's been a big week but I yeah I do hope that like I wanted to make it clear that I wasn't shaming women especially like mothers who do drink wine and like that whole mom (coughs) drinking community like I think that that's fine um I didn't I didn't want women to feel shamed about drinking and getting blackout and stuff because I think there's enough of that already Mm -hmm. um but I just wanted people to know that if they want to talk about it it feels good to talk about it yeah, and I think that even since you've decided to stop drinking, it's kind of made me reflect on, like, my own drinking habits, mm-hmm. and, yo, know, I have some, like, mental health issues that I've been going through for the past year and a bit, and I made me, like, check in with myself and be like, oh, okay, like, why am I drinking? Is it because I like drinking, because I like, you know, the, the layers of wine and, like, mm-hmm. tasting different wines and mm-hmm. I like whiskey? Mm-hmm. Or am I drinking because I feel sad and lonely and depressed? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that having that reflection and, like, asking myself why I'm doing it and the, making sure that I'm making a choice and not using it as a coping mechanism has been good. And that's kind of the way I framed sharing your piece. Yeah, exactly. Well, and that, that's so true because, like, you know, since – stopping drinking I sometimes miss drinking like I you know I love sitting on a dock and drinking a beer so then like I drink non-alcoholic beer Mm -hmm. and then I'm like am I still missing something of the experience but then it's it is it's it's the being drunk part Mm -hmm. (laughs) but then I'm like you know so like then I had to reflect on like well why do I want to feel buzzed like you know and so anyway it's a it's a work in progress I think about it a lot (laughs) <laughs> you would be helpful. I think if, like, breweries or wineries made more complex non-alcoholic totally beverages. Agree. Totally because that's agree. kind of the experience that I like. I like exactly. the, and I like trying an orange wine because yes. it's much different than a white wine or a rosé. Yeah, exactly. It's got a little bit more funk to it. But like Exactly. Like, I want to go to Prince Edward County and go to wineries and have that experience. I just don't want to be drunk. Yeah. You know, like, I want to go and, like, try craft beers and, like, do brewery tours or whatever. I just don't want to throw up all day the next day. Yeah. You know? So, like, anyway. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we, if, you're, we do this? if you're a brewery or a winery, yeah, fucking set up your name. Yeah, totally. Totally. I think there's a market there. I There is. And I, you know what? The non-alcoholic wine that I've tried, some of it has been super gross, but I found a really good rosé last week. Yeah, and I was like, this tastes just like rosé. It made me very happy. Great. I drank the whole bottle. (laughs) (laughs) Just juice. Exactly, and then my tongue, like, felt a bit sore after. I was like, why does my tongue feel sore? I was like, because I just drank a liter of grape juice. (laughs) (laughs) What's the sugar content like? Uh, what? What's the sugar content like? Probably not oh, great. Oh, God, it's huge. And see, I probably gained, like, four pounds in sugar that day. 
<laughs> I'm just like, oh, it has all the calories. <laughs> all right, let's get into it. Yeah. Uh, so this week in feminism, uh, we're starting off with the the Ontario Liberals. Sorry, that's not true. Um, the Liberal Party of Canada uh, plans to reduce the legal alcohol limit um, in Canada, and uh, the Citizen put out a column this week that identifies that this kind of law would disproportionately affect women and people of color. Yeah. Well, and not only do they want to, like, lower the limit, they want to allow police to have, like, clear opportunity. That's not the right word, but, like, They can basically check, give, like, require a breathalyzer based on no On nothing. Yeah, they have, like, totally, like, open season... If they pull you over at 2 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon without any cause, they can ask you for a breast sample. Yeah. Which, their, the, the liberal reasoning for that is that, um, I don't know, they think like like 50% of drunk drivers get away with it even if the police stop them. Sure. Yes. Which is given, like, given that they're assuming that a drunk driver is blowing, would blow over 0. .07. Right. But isn't acting drunk when they get pulled over. Yes. So. Which is weird because, like, I could blow over 0. .07 with two drinks. Yeah. Well, and I think right now it's actually 0. .05. I think it was 0. .07, and now it's 0. .05, and now they're going to I don't have a car. <laughs> <laughs> I do. And I, I was so careful when I was drinking because, like, two pints easily would cause me to blow over. Yeah. Which is like, you're right, it does dis, I think it definitely disproportionately affects women yes. in terms of our physiology. Like, yep. two pints for me would react very differently than like two some pints of my and a guy who's 250 pounds. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then, of course, this thing that they can just demand breath samples whenever they feel like it, knowing that police have biases and like recognizing that those are gender and racial based. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was a speaker. The, the column quotes a Métis person saying, like, I'm afraid that I'm going to be, like, you know, disproportionately asked for breast samples because, of course, um, of the racial. Sure. And, like, I don't know, you know, and Asians metabolize alcohol different than mm-hmm. other people. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how that affects the breathalyzer. Right. You know, like, does that mean that from one drink, an Asian person could blow over regardless of whether or not? Mm-hmm. Well, and I guess, I mean, in terms of, like, a person who drives a car and doesn't want to be killed by a drunk driver, you know, is the argument that if if you have this different physiology, then should you, like, then shouldn't we keep the limit lower, even if it disproportionately affects you, like, scientifically? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I guess, like, to me, the problem is this, like, getting the breath sample without cause. Like, mm-hmm. I, I feel like... That's it, really infringes on... Yeah, the Civil Liberties Association or whatever is yeah. saying that this is, like, a like a complete disaster. Yeah. But, um, I don't know. Like, it's... Drunk driving is weird to me because, uh, like, I feel like a lot of people do do it. Absolutely. But, like... Uh, I also don't want my liberty, liberties infringed on... Although, if you're not drinking and driving, then why would it matter? I don't know. Yeah, it's it's really hard because, like, on the one hand, you know, going out for dinner, for mm-hmm. example, mm-hmm. 
you may have a glass of wine, you may have two glasses of wine. Mm-hmm. And, like, how I feel after two glasses of wine, I don't feel much different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, like, physiologically, like, the alcohol is metabolizing in my body somehow. Yeah. But um, I don't cognitively feel different. Yeah. Um, and yet, uh, that is a normal act. Mm-hmm. But it's almost like you can't be punished. You're you're being punished for a mm-hmm. normal activity. Right, right. right so right, I guess, right. like, my question is, like, okay, fine, like, lower the limit, but then what are you doing to to supplement that? Yeah, like, to me, it feels, like, a little bit like Harding. Like, if you can just blatantly ask people <laughs> for breast samples based on nothing, then what is, like, what's being done to combat police biases so that like, sober, like, women and racial minorities aren't just being pulled over all the time and asked for breast samples. Like, to me, that's just, like, annoying, especially if you're sober. You're like, I, like, actually, now that I am sober, sometimes I'm like, I hope I get caught in a ride program. (laughs) And then I can be like, I'm more sober than I've ever been. (laughs) But, like, they're not encouraging, like, they're not giving more money for, to provinces and municipalities to improve transportation services. Mm, Yeah. You know, like, If I'm then going to make the choice to not drive to go for dinner, Mm -hmm. then I need a way to get there Mm -hmm. that's affordable, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that isn't going to, that is reliable, that I'm going to be able to make my reservation without leaving an hour and a half before, you know, or I need to get home later. Yeah. And like late night transportation is awful. Yeah. And especially as a woman, like I don't want to sit in some like random bus stop for like, you know... If I miss the bus that I'm aiming for for the next half hour till the next yeah. bus comes, like, so by myself at night, a little bit buzzed, like, that doesn't seem like a very good idea. Well, yeah, especially when you've got places like London in the UK and Montreal here in Quebec, who are, or even just Quebec, who are examining removing Uber services. Yeah. And, like, Uber, of course, is problematic in and of itself, but, mm-hmm. like, not giving those afford- more affordable access Mm-hmm. travel options yeah yeah exactly like I'd love to see like a ride share service with a gender lens that's specifically for drinking and driving like something like an operation red nose but like all year yeah exactly and it's like or for peak women, time like weekends or whatever yeah exactly for women and marginalized genders only you know driven by women and marginalized genders only so that like you know it's just I don't know a safer more accessible option than like sitting at the Rito Center at 2 a.m. waiting for the bus you know? (laughs) That sounds like a not great thing. Yeah, exactly. Well, we're going to move on to, I think, an interesting and complex topic. Yeah. So this is a request from a listener, and uh, they wanted us to talk about Hugh Hefner. Right. So rest rest in peace, Hugh Hefner, I guess. (laughs) I'm certainly not going to give that a rest of power, that's for sure. Yeah, like, I'm sorry you died. Yeah. I mean, it is a really complex thing. Like, as you know, I go to church, and so I've got some folks from my church on my Facebook, mm. and um, the church that I go to is, like, super progressive, and and one of the women, well, it, the church itself is not super progressive, but the people who go to the church um, have been, like, marginalized for a number of reasons, a lot of them, so... Anyway, there's, like, a quite a, a diverse group of people. Mm-hmm. And one of the women who I go to church with, and she actually runs my Bible study, was, like, made this post about how, like, 
people are talking shit about Hugh Hefner, but he's dead and we shouldn't speak ill of the dead. And also like, um, you know, why are you judging his lifestyle? Like it was really like, <laughs> as a former Christian woman, I was like, whoa, <laughs> this is not what I was expecting. She even like used a Bible verse and like, you know, don't, don't speak ill of people whose morals are different than yours or whatever. And I was like, interesting. I, I don't know that I've seen any, anything in the media or on my Facebook regarding Hugh Hefner's like more moral decisions. Mm -hmm. It's more just like his problematic stances on like everything else. Well, yeah. And so of course there are people who are saying like he was a feminist and he was a feminist ally and like, yeah. So I guess like the argument there is that he's a feminist ally because he allowed for women to be feel liberated in their sexuality in posing naked in Playboy. Yeah. And there, I think there are feminists and sex workers and non-sex workers alike who would argue that that is a feminist opportunity. Yeah, and I, I agree with that. And we talk about, you know, everyone always maligns Kim Kardashian when she poses a naked selfie. Mm -hmm. And I think that she can share her body however the fuck she wants to. Yeah. And that doesn't make her a whore or a slut or a bad mother or not yeah, a feminist. Exactly. I mean, I think she might not be a feminist for other reasons. Yeah. But when we look at who got rich off of those women's bodies, was it the women themselves? Not really. But Hugh Hefner certainly did. Very rarely was it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I guess for a bit of background, um, Hugh Hefner, um, he, his wife, first, very first wife, uh, cheated on him hmm. and then they got divorced and apparently that was like a catalyst for the rest of his life <laughs> the blueprint if you will oh my god he was like he was devastated he was like the nice guy 1.0 or something he, like, he's yeah like the original nice guy well, yeah he was it. born in 1926 <laughs> so yeah yeah um the so very then, first nice so then guy. he did this um and he kind of brought Marilyn Monroe into her, what made her famous. Like, he came yeah. across these nude photos that she had taken when she had no money. Mm -hmm. And was going to publish them in Playboy, kind of without her permission. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which uh, propelled her to start up and her sex pot persona. Okay, interesting. Um, but then, because of that persona, she was, struggled. Yeah, and... and like in that hypersexualized sort of like persona <laughs> that she created that I think she probably ultimately felt like she lost control of. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, she well, in the in the article it says Marilyn Monroe posed for Playboy in nineteen fifty three. She died by her own hand in nineteen sixty two, a prisoner of her own beauty and the industrialization of sex. Hefner will now be placed in a crypt next to hers that he bought decades ago intruding on the privacy of the ravishing woman he helped destroy. Which, like... It's so gross. It's so gross. Like, uh, uh, Imagine being so obsessed with someone... That you bought a, a crit pot next to theirs? Yeah. And again, like, did she give permission for that? Like, I feel like that's really gross, too. Like, if that wasn't a prearranged, consensual... Well, and this is kind of the... the why this is, like complex topic is because like because you know he, he uh, Hugh Hefner experienced his spouse cheating on him 
he got pissed and now he's just kind of revenge porning all of women. Yeah. Um, and essentially like there are a lot of arguments saying that because of that, he hates women despite him saying he loves women, but mm-hmm. no, he loves, loves the objectification of them and their sexualization. Yeah. Not necessarily their liberation in an equitable sense. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's like this for me, like as a very sex positive feminist and I, and I want to be positive about pornography and I, and I certainly believe that like sex work is real work and that this should be safe, equitable employment. But like at the core of it, it's still men for the most part profiting off of the bodies of women. Yeah. And I think that like, like, have you watched Hot Girls Wanted by Rashida Jones? No, like, there's a very good chance I've never watched anything that you ever asked. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, keep asking. One day I might say yes. Well, Hot Girls Wanted is, like, a great documentary that Rashida Jones... Love Rashida Jones. Yeah. So she did this first, like, full feature-length documentary about online sex work. And then I, I think she got a lot of criticism, particularly from sex workers and sex workers' rights activists, saying, mm-hmm. like... She just presented this really biased view about how, like, sex workers are, you know, kept captive and that they don't actually have their own autonomy in the situation. And then she did um, she did a follow-up series of documentaries, like, television show length called yeah. Hot Girls Wanted Turned On. And it, it was supposed to be a more, like, she did a lot more work, I think, in, in like, showing a less biased point of view. But... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like still like even these young women who are saying like, oh, this is totally my choice. It's a hundred percent my choice. They're they're They have to have a man who's at least there for their own safety. Right. Like, right. and so I don't know. I just really, I struggle with this. And I know, like, I know that I'm not, I know that it's going to sound not as feminist as it could be in what I'm saying. So, you know, at me, but I, I, I don't know. I struggle. Yeah, and, like, I think there's definitely two different conversations to be had regarding uh, Hugh Hefner and his work with Playboy, um, but also, like, the lifestyle he led. Like, Mm. I'm fine if you want to be polyamorous, Mm -hmm. you want to have an open relationship, cool, that's not a problem, but, like, the fact that he had this harem of women Mm -hmm. that he surrounded himself with at all times, Mm -hmm. who were basically there to perform and I mean, like, actually perform mm-hmm. on command is disgusting. Well, I mean, it, like, this is what we were saying about R. Kelly a couple episodes ago, right? Like, he's got this, like, harem of women, and they're, like, just shy of being kept captive. Yeah, know? yeah. Um, so um, this uh, article in The Lily, actually, um, <laughs> as much as I make fun of The Lily... We really this... maligned it, but it does have good articles. Very rarely, though. <laughs> like... I wouldn't go, I would go with like one out of ten. Okay, okay. Um, I read it for the articles. <laughs> it says, it reads, but his choices were often, were more often than not blonde, thin, bulging game. They were always up for a good time or down for a good time and always liking whatever it was that you like. Always sweet, never too independent. Long before the writer Jillian Flynn popularized the concept of the insufferable cool girl who doesn't actually exist except for in men's fervent fantasies, Hugh Hefner dreamed her, undressed her, and put her in his magazine. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think that there is something to be said um, for, like, what what look he sexualized and what he is promoting as, you know, a sexually desirable, beautiful woman. 
Like, I think the diversity certainly isn't there. Not no. diversity in body types, not diversity in race, not even diversity in, like, hair color. Yeah, you know? very rarely, I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, there is the... They became a reality show with, like, mm. Kendra Wilkinson and Holly right. Madison. Um, and Holly Madison wrote a book about her experience in the Playboy Mansion. And it basically drove her into depression. Wow. Yeah. Um, she taught, had an interview with BuzzFeed a couple years ago. And she it talks about her the book and also her experience um, in, in the Playboy Mansion. Um, she first encountered... Sorry. She first encountered the seven-at-a-time harem that Hefner, who was then 74, maintained. After a year of being a regular at the mansion and with both of her roommates moving out, Madison was desperate to stay in Los Angeles and decided she'd try to be one of the girlfriends because a spot had opened up. After all, she had been assured that none of them had actually had sex with Hefner and it seemed like a nice and free place to live. <laughs> a nice and free place to live. Yeah, so basically they got an allowance for makeup and clothing. Hmm. But they and they were had a curfew during the week of 9 p.m. and twice a week on Wednesdays and Saturdays all the girlfriends and Hugh Hefner would go to the bar and they'd party. Hmm. And he would offer them quaaludes. Well, that's so retro. <laughs> right? Like, I don't use toilets anymore. <laughs> and um and then they would go back and basically the women would all like have performative lesbian sex with each other. None of them none of them were actually into it and mm-hmm. then eventually one of them would have sex with Hugh Hefner. Oh my god. It sounds awful. That does sound awful. And it's like like And he's a feminist. Right. No. And her story of, like, she was desperate to stay in Los Angeles, she needed a place to live, like, again, to me, that raises the question of choice. Like, is that true free choice? I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe, but I, well, to yeah. me, it doesn't sound like choice. She says, yeah, she says about, like, the, um, uh, where is it? In the whole, tra- so the first night that she went out with the girlfriends, uh, she was the chosen one to have sex with him. And they all, like, pushed her towards him. They're like, oh, hook up with the new girl. Mm. So then the, the story continues. In the whole transactional experience, because it felt like a transaction, uh, there hadn't been any discussion about whether she wanted to have sex with Hefner. Mm. Does she consider it to be non-consensual when she looks back on it? Quote, I think everybody just assumes because I was there and making it clear that I wanted to be a girlfriend that I knew something went on. And I knew something went on. I'm not stupid, but none of the girls would ever really admit to it or talk about it. Hmm. So, yeah, like... It's kind of like coercion. Yeah, it sounds very coercive to me. The other thing is, like, talking about how it drove her into a depression. It's like, I feel like women should feel free to be valued on their beauty and their sexuality. And I think that that's okay. But I think when when they're, you know, forced to uphold that and when you're whole like self-worth is based on that we know that beauty fades because we get old and yeah and then like we fall out of like the favorable like standard of beauty so to just only be based on that to me seems like a dangerous way to 
like have sustainable self-esteem. Yeah. And uh, the first year that they had the reality show, none of the women got paid. Oh, just like whatever. Yeah. Just, oh my God. (laughs) His legacy is really interesting to me because, um, and I included this too, like this, this sex robot story that came out sort of the same day as Hugh Hefner died or like the day after. So like, oh yeah, I saw that. Yeah. So basically they've got like, they've built these sex robots now, which is like, they're basically like AR and and this one sex bot who is of course (laughs) (laughs) blue eyed, blonde haired doll worth over $4,000. And her name is Samantha, the doll. Of course it is. (laughs) Of course it is. Um, She was at some sort of like trade show or whatever in Australia I'm sorry, it's called the Ars Electronica Festival. So she is enough, like, I mean, they've gotten pretty far with the robots, but, right. like, she was walking around the trade show and, like, interacting with people before mm-hmm. this. But what ended up happening is that she got, like, so badly mauled by some of the men at the trade show that um, it said she got groped inappropriately. So, like... <laughs> And again, it's like, like, anyway, she got so badly groped inappropriately that she was like, her breasts were destroyed, she had broken fingers, body parts were ruined, like, the the creator of her was like so horrified, he said um, that it was like, she was, she has to go and be cleaned, and like, it was just, it was really bad. Uh, Yeah, her inventor, Sergei Santos, shared that she was heavily soiled. By the men. Oh, God. Yeah, two fingers broken whilst the men were mounting Samantha's breasts, legs, and arms, causing her to break down entirely. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Which is yeah. so, you know, it, it's, it's interesting to me. Like, I think there is an interrelationship between men's entitlement to even AR bodies, you know, and women's bodies and the legacy that Playboy has left. And I I don't know, maybe that makes me like only like a second or third wave feminist. I don't know. Hmm. But I I don't know. Like if, if, if the world is such a place that sex robots get their breasts destroyed, (laughs) (laughs) like how are women supposed to feel safe? Yeah. You know? It's just interesting to me because, like, this was at a trade show. This was, like, these guys just mounting her breasts in public. Yeah. Yeah. At a festival. Like, uh, I... uh, 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 Now, here's another question, which you're going to answer no to. Have you watched that documentary called um, Real Dolls? No. Okay. (laughs) So they made... This is, like... These are probably, like, ten years old by now, but it was this documentary. I think you can find it on YouTube, and I'm pretty sure it's called Real Dolls. They are these sex dolls... And, you know, it, it's like they are the embodiment of the perfect playboy girl, right? She's quiet. The sec- these dolls, they don't have the AR thing like Samantha the sex robot does. Mm-hmm. They're just quiet and you invent them, their personas as men, like however you want them. But the, in the documentary, there's one guy who's like, like in a relationship with his sex doll. And I think the movie Lars and the Real Girl was based on this. But, like, his parents, like, he lives with his parents, and he's, like, lying in the bed with his sex doll and, like, having, like, an argument with his sex doll girlfriend out loud. But, like, 
explaining to her that his parents just don't understand their relationship. <gasps> and like, yeah, it's, it's super weird. So super are weird. you sure you were talking about that Ryan Gosling movie? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm super. <laughs> I'm going to find the link to the Real Dolls documentary and post it because, and then there's another guy who has like four or five of them. And he keeps them in his garage, chained and hanging from the ceiling. That is a metaphor. <laughs> and like, he, well, one of them he had to send because her pubic hair got worn off. So he had to send the, her for repairs. These are the exact men who wonder why they can't get a woman. Yeah. yeah it's because you fucking have a sex doll or you have a harem of sex dolls that you fucking chain up. Yeah. So this is like a metaphor for your, how you view women and the role exactly. they should play in your life. Well, and one guy... So maybe you're just a garbage human, and that's why no one wants to sleep with you and date you. Yeah, and one guy in in the documentary, um, it's called Guys and Dolls, and it's on it's on YouTube. Anyway, Please one guy... Please don't confuse it with the wonderful music. <laughs> exactly. There's one guy who's, like, uh, does try to date a real woman, and she's obviously, like, deeply put off by his sex doll collection, and he's, like... I don't understand why you just, like, can't accept me. And she was like, but I'm a real human. Like, I have human thoughts and brains and, like, emotions and my own opinions. Like, I'm not going to ever compare to a made-up doll that you have sex with because you've made her up, you know? Yeah. Whereas, yeah. like, you and I are going to disagree on things. Yeah. Did so. you ever see Ex Machina? No. Wow. One day these dolls are going to come to life and they're going to fucking kill these guys. Yeah. 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 Well... <laughs> Anyway, so that's uh, that's where that is. Oh, great. <laughs> that one went real far off the rails, but you know what? <laughs> into it. I support it. We'll post the link to that documentary, too. Sure. Just added it to, sure. the, to the document. Great. Great. <laughs> um, so, Hugh Hefner. Uh, there you go. There's yeah. the legacy. All right, so moving on. Earlier this week, actually, this is the second full week of the Canadian House of Commons being back in session. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, we take a little bit of a longer break than they do in America. <laughs> America is always at work in Congress. Well, we only get three months of summer a year. The, the Canadian House <laughs> of Commons is never around. They take, they do take like, and don't they take like a month long Christmas break too? They just like, like it's like four to six weeks. Yeah. They don't they come back like, till the yeah. end of January. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, work-life balance. <laughs> Although I will say they do a lot more constituent work than they do in America. Yeah, like that's true. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Anyway, so um, this week the the committee for the it's Status of Women Committee. Mm -hmm. I don't know the formal name of it. I think it's called Status of Women. Anyway. The Committee on the Status of Women? Maybe. I don't know. They're, they call it, they give them weird abbreviations. Oh yeah, acronyms. that's true. That's true. Um, so they were meeting and they were going to be, um, I guess, electing or not, yeah, electing their their committee chairperson. And the committee chairperson was going to be put forward um, by the opposition, which is the Conservative Party of Canada. And so the Conservatives nominated Lethbridge, Saskatchewan Member of Parliament Rachel Harder um, as the pick for the chair of the Status of Women Committee. Um, the Liberal Party of Canada and the New Democrats protested this nomination by walking out of the committee 
because of uh, Rachel Harder's anti-choice stance and -hmm. general anti-women, anti-feminist stance. Right. Based on her, one, public statements, and two, voting record in the House of Commons. Right. Yeah, exactly. And, like, grant choices and, like... You know, it said that she gave $12,000 in federal summer job grants to two anti-abortion groups in her riding last year. Um, And uh, she's been endorsed by anti-abortion group Campaign Life Coalition. Yeah, and and, uh, the leader of the Conservative Party has said, even though he, too, is pro-life, that his party will not attempt to reopen the abortion debate in Canada. Right, well, Andrew Scheer, the male feminist. Right. The capital F. Um, Anyway, so um, conservative caucus member Lisa Raitt uh, also said that Rachel Harder's abortion stance should not be a factor in her nomination for chair of the committee. But liberal MP Patty Hajdu says, quote, if you limit women's choices, you can't consider, can't call yourself a feminist. Yeah, she tweeted that. Which is true. Yeah. Um, and so basically the liberal and NDP stance on this is that how can you be chairing a committee about the status of women and equality and women's rights while being against the right for women to choose? Right. Well, and we've talked about how, like, you can personally not believe in abortion, but be a feminist, and that you believe in giving women the choice. So you know who actually has this exact opinion? Yep. Former vice presidential candidate Tim Kaine. Oh, really? Yeah. Really? He's pro-choice in that women should choose, but personally is pro-life. Like, right. doesn't support abortion in his kind of life. Yeah, and I think that that's fair enough. Sure. But based on her voting record and her willingness to give money to anti-abortion groups to me that crosses the line like like i think that our public officials shouldn't do that right um so then conservative leader andrew Scheer uh has come out saying that justin trudeau and the liberals are showing quote intolerance for a quote strong competent dynamic young woman that is party nominated to chair status of women committee Right. Um, he says that the, quote, the liberals are trying to politicize this. I find it disgusting that the liberals would tweet a, treat a young female member of parliament in this way, and it shows the intolerance of the liberal party. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like, because, yeah, like, in, in Prime Minister Trudeau's party, you can't have a, a position unless you are pro-choice. Correct. So, I mean... Okay. But I don't think that that's showing, like, intolerance. I think I think he's trying to tie it to the Liberals being a feminist government, mm-hmm. and that in not allowing for a woman to have a role as chair on this committee, or particularly a young woman that they want to lift up, right? that it's kind of anti-feminist. I say give her a chair position in a different committee, not Status of Women. Status of Women has to be a feminist committee. Yeah. In my opinion. doesn't matter political party that you lie on. If you're talking about the Status of Women in Canada, it has to take a feminist stance because it's about the advancement of women in Canada. 
Yeah, but uh, so given that the opposition is meant to hold this chair position, mm-hmm. and most of the conservative caucus is anti-choice, mm-hmm. or sorry, is, yeah, is anti-choice, mm-hmm. then how do you pick a chair? Like, do you just pick someone who is less outspoken and is accepting of the the leader's decision to not reopen the debate? Yeah, or maybe, I mean, maybe you pick someone who is pro-life in their personal life, but pro-choice politically. Do those exist in the Conservative Party? I don't know. If <laughs> <laughs> or, like, fine, be pro-life, but don't have had a record of funding anti-choice. Right. Like, like being so ardently. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I think, like... This, to me, is annoying when conservatives, and I'm, like, talking about, like, small feet, like, just, like, right-wing people try to, like, flip the script on arguments that, like, liberal or, like, progressive people have used all along. Like, it's, like, you know, like, we're saying that by making a niqab ban, for example, because it's, like, uh, it has roots of misogyny, that's just as oppressive as just letting women decide whether or not they want to wear the niqab. Mm -hmm. And so it's, like... Uh, to me, this is like him trying to use the same type of argument, but in the opposite direction, and I don't think it works. Yeah, I don't think it, it particularly doesn't work in this instance. Yeah, like you can't call it oppressive. Yeah. To to protest the fact that the chair of this committee cannot be anti-choice. Yeah, it's just a big fucking disaster, and like it doesn't <laughs> help that you know the Conservative Party has been having trouble in the last few months since Andrew Scheer became leader about a lot of it being, you know, gender-based. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked last week about Jerry Ritz and his comments about calling uh, Catherine McKenna climate Barbie. Yeah, yes, yes. Yeah, so, like, you can't, you know... Uh, like, I have a lot of respect for Lisa Raitt, and, like, I'm sure. interested to see, like, it's interesting to me that she decided to, like, kind of toe the party line on this one, you know, where she was, like... I feel like she toes the party line a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Like, especially because she was in the running for leader. Yeah, like, I feel like this would have been a good opportunity for her to be, like, yeah, no, I don't agree. Because there, there was a conservative MP who said she doesn't agree. Gladue. I can't think of her first name. Marilyn Gladue? Yeah. She sounds a little crazy. (laughs) She's the one who, like, two years ago, a year and a half ago, at the conservative convention, dressed up as the Grim Reaper. (laughs) Well, God love her. She's just trying to be jazzy. If you want to see that video, go why, to BuzzFeed. Why did she dress up like the Grim Reaper? I don't know. That's really funny, actually. Yeah. I am going to look her up. <laughs> uh, anyway, so, I don't know. My question is, is Andrew Shear actually a feminist? I mean, he says he is. Yeah. In that he wants, he believes women are equal. Right, right. Like, him and his wife. But that not that women should get jobs because... His wife, the biggest feminist out there. Right. Capital F feminist. Yeah. 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 Well, okay then. (laughs) Should we move along? Yeah. Okay. 
Now on to our next segment, Rent and Receipts. This is where we each bring a story to share with the others. So I think Bailey is going to kick this one off. Yes. Yeah, so I chose the Harper's Bazaar article that was going around this week about emotional labor. Um, so basically, well, it's called Women Aren't Nags. We're Just Fed Up. Emotional labor is the unpaid, unpaid job men still don't understand. Yeah. And so Eric actually hinted about, about this a little bit last week. Oh, yeah. She was talking about, you know, the women who at your office, they're the ones cleaning yeah. the microwave, da 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 So I think that's kind of like a nice, a nice little tie-in. Exactly. So basically, the author of the article said that all she wish, wished for for Mother's Day last year was a cleaning service. So she writes, my husband waited for me to change my mind to an easier gift than house cleaning, something he could one-click order on Amazon. (laughs) What I wanted was for him to ask friends on Facebook for a recommendation, call four or five more services, and do the emotional labor I would have done if the job had been fallen to me. So I think, like, the ultimate point of the article was basically that, like, women, when they're, like, in the office, like Eric has said, or, like, um, you know, at home or whatever, we see the things that need to be done and then we do them. So, like, if I take the last of the coffee at work, I make more coffee. Or if you use all the water in the kettle. Exactly. Or, like, you know, when, I, when I'm walking through my house, if I see dust bunnies, I don't, I don't wait for someone to be like, well, this would be ridiculous because it would be my dog. But, like, <laughs> Sasha to be like, Billy, we need to clean because uh, there's dust bunnies Sasha rolling Sasha might down. go and, like, bat them around. Yeah, it's true. Like, carry them, like, as babies. Yeah. I wouldn't, she wouldn't fight them or eat them because she's too <laughs> docile. But she might, like, take care of them. Yeah. So, anyway, she – so the author, like, goes on to say that, like, her husband – Ultimately, what happens is her husband is like, well, cleaning services are too expensive because he Googled one. And then he says, so that's too expensive. So instead, he just promises her that he will be the one to clean the bathroom from here on out. And no, then, I don't think it was from here on out. I think yeah. it was he was gonna, committed to do a deep clean. Oh, a deep clean. Okay, okay. So anyway, she, she was like upset. And she says, my husband is a good man and a good feminist ally. I could tell as I walked him through it, like how to do the work, that he was trying to grasp, or sorry, as she walked him through the emotional labor concept, he was trying to grasp what I was getting at, but he didn't. He said he'd try to do more cleaning around the house to help me out. He restated restated that all I ever needed to do was ask him for help, but therein lies the problem. I don't want to micromanage the housework. I want a partner with equal initiative. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's hilarious. You know, and so, you know, it's like... Not that, I don't think it's hilarious because, like, it's not, like, a good thing to want. Yeah. But, like, I've never been a man. No. That you don't have to ask to do things. No, exactly. And that's not to say hashtag not all men, but, like... Yeah, yeah. Well, and some some friends and I uh, from work were talking about this, and all of them live with their boyfriends. And again, this is a pretty heteronormative article. Sure. Um, but, uh, you know, they live with their boyfriends and they were saying that, like, it, it, it truly does not occur to them to do this, like, to pick up the socks off the floor. You know, it's like, or like they, when they, when they're the ones that do the laundry, for example, they have to call their girlfriends and be like, 
do I put this in the dryer? Do you want me to put your clothes in the dryer? Should I put these in the dryer? Like, you know, and, and you end up doing... Oh, see, I didn't even get that crazy. Everything <laughs> just goes in the dryer. Be like, do not throw any of my Lululemon or my dry clean only in the yeah. wash. You, yoga pants are a real going concern. Yeah, and then it's like, a, what about, the, is, does, this, does this count? Yes. Does it say Lululemon? Yeah. Is there a Lululemon logo on it? Feel the fabric with your fucking fingers and decide. Like... <laughs> Yeah, it's a good thing when my boyfriend's doing my laundry that, like, I'm not working out as much as I do on a regular basis because my laundry is, like, 98% gym clothes. Yes. And this thing, like, in my own experience, so once I dated somebody and he attempted to load my dishwasher. Oh, no. And I said, don't fucking do that. Yeah, I said, don't. Just don't even because I know that it's going to take me double the time and effort to, like, guide you through this praise you for the behavior be like yay you loaded the dishwasher then if I just did it myself and like you know he was trying to be helpful and I just was like don't like you're a guest here like don't make yourself at home (laughs) I bought this house I bought that dishwasher like get the fuck out of the kitchen so then I was like maybe I'm a bad feminist ally because like I didn't let him just do it but I just knew like he was gonna do it wrong so So I'd rather just do it myself that's what it continues saying is that like you know, a lot of the times when men do something, they do it, but then they also look for praise. Yeah. They want the acknowledgement mm-hmm. that they cleaned mm-hmm. the bathroom, that they did whatever without being asked. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, like, I have lived with women uh, as, like, roommates, and I have, I have sometimes had the same problem where they're like, they'll come in and complain to me that the place is a mess. They'll be like, oh, my God, like, the hall needs to be swept like, well, then do. <laughs> then go and do it. Then why, yeah, like, why are you telling it. me? Here's, here's the broom. <laughs> yeah, like, so anyway, it was it was an interesting concept to me, too, because of the conversation that we had last week about having it all. Like, yeah. you know, so if if you've got the job and the, the kids and the husband and that, like, if we're going with that very traditional notion of having it all, are you still doing all of the emotional labor? of that right you know like and again I I also know people who have become moms and you know they feel like they're always the heavy with the kids like Mm. dad or partner gets to come home and like and they're like the super fun like now the wind-up toy that works from 5 to 7 p.m. you know and like but the mom is the one that has to be like don't do that no, you know you, you yeah. d- lower your voice <laughs> don't don't chew on the cat you know <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know and uh, it's funny because and again last week I said like I would be happy staying home like my having it all doesn't necessarily have to include like a big career like yeah. I, I think I could be pretty fulfilled with it that and I do like doing domestic chores like I like scrubbing my bathtub a lot like I like because you like but because you like the satisfaction you get yes exactly and I like the outcome of it and I have never lived with someone so I don't know what it's like to like have someone else attempt to clean the bathroom for me right you know like I don't know if I would like that or not so uh, like I also just but you know what I hate fucking doing is like taking my car for an oil change you know, <laughs> you're really into gender chores. I know, and like this article really made me reflect on that. Like, 
because I was I was talking to my boyfriend a couple weeks ago and he had taken my car for me yeah. to get like the headlight changed or whatever and I was like I can't even tell you how like grateful I am to you for doing that and he was like why are you acting like this is a big deal I was like it is like oh I hate it when you have to like go to the mechanic I'm like ugh and he was like, you know what? I hate when you have to go to the grocery store and like look at the groceries and then like come <laughs> home and like put them away and then like put them into food. And I was like, we would have such a happy life together because I love doing that. Like I, you would never have to step foot in a grocery store again if you would just always take my car to the mechanic. Huh, interesting. So I do want to live like a 1950s life. It's funny because like men just have a different l- tolerance for mm-hmm. cleanliness mm-hmm. generally mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. generally mm-hmm. i know my father is very very strict on the cleaning mm. um but like my boyfriend when i go to visit him i'm like when was the last time you cleaned your bathroom yeah i'm like can you like i can't i can't deal with this yeah clean this up yes and so then like and then i well then i nag at him because i'm not cleaning it because i'm not the primary resident Exactly. I will clean. You know what? I will swiffer the floor. Yeah. I will do the laundry. Mm-hmm. I'll clean the kitchen because I am using it. Yeah. But I have not used this bathroom in <laughs> months. I'm not responsible for cleaning it. Yeah. No, I agree. I draw the line. I, yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's how I felt about my dishwasher. I was like, I am the primary resident here. You don't live here. Don't feel entitled to touch my dishwasher. But it's not even the, like, the entitlement about t- like, being able to touch the dishwasher. It's that, like... There's an order to a dishwasher. Well, yes, and that's the that's other. That's the problem. Yes, you have to do it properly, or else it's a fucking it's disgrace. Chaos. You yes. can fit four things in it. You can either fit four things or a hundred things 100, into a dishwasher. Ex- exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Now it's interesting. So, like, my... who decided that? By the way, I like... don't know. I feel like dishwashers are not all optimally optimally designed. Like I feel like we should reconsider it. There's an innovation to be had. There has to be. Hmm. Um now my dad, now he was a single guy for a long time. You know, he lives alone. He lives as a single man. Uh and when I go there, I'm like daddy, what like what is going on here? Sorry. We're still on the daddy thing. <laughs> I do call him daddy. It feels weird to say dad. Okay. Anyway, I'm like, what is going on here? Like, like for a while he had a mouse, and then he was like, <laughs> like hyper cleaning the kitchen, and I was like, just go and buy a mouse trap. But I think he was like emotionally attached to the mouse, like he couldn't oh. quite deal with like killing it. But again, or like he'll like come up with all these like like hacks, like like house hacks, so that he like can live his life. Like his his dryer is a disaster and has to be turned on like fifteen times. And I'm like, just buy a new one or like <laughs> get a part, we do, fix it. But he's like, no, if you just do it this way, it's like fine. Oh, but I, it makes me think of like in in the article they quote a professor of communications arts and sciences, and she says that emotional labor is often conflated with problem solving. The gendered assumption is that men are problem solvers because women are too emotional. But who is really solving the bulk of the world's problems at home and in the office? Yeah, I just don't. I don't want to flounder in a problem. Me neither. I just want to. Move on to the next thing. <laughs> exactly. You know what my problem is when I'm cleaning my house? What? When is my housekeeper coming? Well, <laughs> you have a housekeeper. <laughs> yeah. See? You're lucky. I live in a bachelor apartment with a housekeeper. <laughs> it's a little excessive, but you know what? 
I'm lazy. And I don't I don't like it. I don't Oh, I love it. I don't I love it. It just takes time. Even getting groceries takes time. Like I know, but anything that strays from like my normal functioning. Well, see, and I've built those things and like every Saturday morning I clean my house. No matter what. Like that's what happens on Saturday mornings. That's when I go work out. Every Sunday afternoon, I go to the grocery store and cook all weekend, like cook all day. Like that happens. I used to do that when I first moved to Ottawa. I did that. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, I made friends. (laughs) Well, I don't like people. Okay. Uh, The point of the article is is to it's like it's not about housework being emotional labor. No. It's like what happens when the chores actually get done. Like. I'm sure that when you just like live your life and clean your place, when your boyfriend is around, he's like, it's just like, oh, now the floor is clean. Like it's just assumed that you were going to be the one to do it. You know, whereas like when men do it, they're like, look, I clean the floor. And you have to be like, wow. I will say, though, that um, it does the like the woman who wanted her husband to do a lot of research about the house cleaning mm-hmm, company mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he just didn't want to do it there are men who will quietly do that work mm-hmm. but then not tell you about it and then like nothing happens yes like this is like you've done the research but there's no decision made yeah and then you're like oh well did you look at that thing yeah i did and i looked at all the options and then it's like so when where what do we what's uh what's the plan yeah <laughs> yeah it's true. Well, and I feel like like some some people just like doing planning and research and that kind of thing. Like if I was like, I want a house cleaner, I would just Google house cleaners in Ottawa and I would pick the top one and I would I might look at another one just to compare prices. But otherwise, I would just be like, well, this is what I want. This is the answer. This is what I'm going to get. This is the amount of money I want to pay. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas like my dad loves doing that kind of thing like like buying a tv he probably went to like seven different electronic stores and like bartered and nattered and researched and wheeled and dealed and i was just like this is taking you so long you want the tv just buy a fucking tv but he enjoyed but if that was not a tv if it was like a dryer for example what you'd actually need and you can buy on sears.ca for like three hundred dollars yeah he is just like no that's too much it's too much work Mm. yeah so i don't know like if i was planning a trip i would just book an all-inclusive i would not research the things i would might flip through pictures but then that was it but the the author of the article is like you know when i plan trips and blah 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 i was like i mean some people just don't like googling things oh i love researching trips i favorite i never do i just want to find a deal oh see i just go on a trip with someone who i trust has done all the work and i like (laughs) i just write the check and i'm like here you go (laughs) you e-transfer them (laughs) hope you're not writing checks still grandma although i guess i do write checks for my rent yeah that's like a different story my sister keeps her checkbook with her she like brings it in her purse everywhere kelly (laughs) come on are you going to costco and writing checks i was like Nobody even takes a check anymore. <laughs> I think Costco. That's hilarious. I used to work at a grocery store and we used to take checks. And it was always painful having, store. having people write out checks. Oh, like yeah. waiting and then you're like the queue of people and you're just like, oh my God, write faster. Yes. And there's always like old women. So I'd be like writing so slowly. And then they're like putting they're it in like their... And they're cursive writing. I cursive And then they got to like 
then they got to fill out the ledger. Exactly. Um, anyway, so that's, uh, that's my rent and receipts. It's like, I think, I don't know. I think what we're asking for from men is just to like, just use your eyeballs. Yeah. Be a little bit more observant and considerate. Yeah. 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 Great. Thanks for sharing. (laughs) Okay. On to your rent and receipts. Okay, so my rent and receipts this week is a story that was in the Toronto Star this week that detailed how the Toronto police are upset and disappointed that the six god, Drake, (laughs) (laughs) um, had not provided them with any assistance in helping solve the murder of a close friend of his, Anthony Soros. Yeah. Um, So basically... um, this friend of Drake's was shot and murdered getting into his, an apartment building. And Drake was recently a pallbearer at his funeral. Right. And then two days later, this story came out saying that the Toronto police wanted Drake to, to go out on social media and be like, if anyone has any information, like he's fucking Crime Stoppers. I, the, I know. It's so weird. Why? Like, why? He Please come forward. And... He wasn't there. Yeah. I, I, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't understand how Drake got pulled into this at all. Well, yeah. So, <laughs> like, this is kind of an ongoing trend from the Toronto police and hmm. related to Drake. Um, two years ago, following a an after-party... Uh, for OVO Fest, um, there was a shooting, mm-hmm. and they the police asked Drake for help because it was associated with his festival. Right. Um, and so he put out some tweets saying, "If anyone like has any, if anyone's a wit- witness this crime, like let the police know." Yeah. The crime is still unsolved. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. no charges have been laid. Yeah. Um, so in this instance, you know, Drake's mourning the loss of a friend, mm-hmm. but like the mayor, the police, the media are fucking giving him shit because he hasn't put out a tweet asking for help when he, one, has no responsibility to do so. No, exactly. And it's weird because the story, um, uses words like, they talk about how he has heavy-handed security detail and that you know they question his judgment because he associates with toronto area rappers who have criminal records right and it's just the kind of coded language that we've talked about many times before yeah and like we already know that john tory the mayor of toronto has a lot of issues with with mm-hmm. black people mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that Toronto has their police service has a history of racial profiling with carding. Mm-hmm. So like this kind of fills that narrative. Yeah. Um, and like, so now what we're seeing is that, well, you know, he is responsible in theory by these people yeah. To help them solve the crime because he's a, an ambassador for Toronto and he was given a key to the city. But, like, really what it is is about these, like, underlying assumptions. Number one, that all black people listen to Drake. Yep. All gangsters Bla- are black. Yeah. And so they've they, – it's like that – remember that game Triad where you had to, like, 
no get... no but okay sure. <laughs> i think it was called triad anyway you had to like piece what the three things like how they were connected and this to me is just like an off the wall like rambling level of assumptions that like like first of all drake is not like drake was on degrassi like <laughs> like it's a pretty mainstream listening group like i i feel like of the hardcore like gangsters involved in shooting yeah like i don't know that they're all listening to drake number one and number two it's like just like i don't understand why the the assumption would be that drake doing anything about this would be yeah so so andre domiz uh wrote in mclean's uh and he says quote what we're seeing in the treatment of drake by toronto's media and its police service is that he owes a kind of fealty that's never been asked of nor expected from another Torontonian mm. that has risen to his level of success. And Drake being enlisted into this service by institutions that have systematically excluded and marginalized people who look like himself. Whether he decides to make a statement or not by this point hardly matters. What does matter is our institutions, police, and media both seem to have learned nothing over the last five years. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, like, further to that, it's, like, you know, Rob Ford, who is, like, like legit, <laughs> legitimately linked to gangsters. Yeah. He was never put in this position. No, and I think I saw something recently that they're looking to, like, name some sports thing after him. Or... Yeah, they want to name, like, a dome after him. Uh, yeah, like, uh, no, so, no. So, yeah. No. And, in fact, like, he's, he, like, he's super implicated because, like, Two of the guys that he was in that crack video photo with yeah. are dead now. Yeah. One from a nightclub shooting and one, like, fell off a balcony. It's convenient. Uh-huh. You know? So it's like, yeah, he, like, legitimately was linked to these folks, whereas, like, Drake doesn't even live in Toronto and was nowhere near the scene of the crime. Like, Or know? doesn't live in Toronto full time. Right. Yeah. It's and all yeah. very weird and, like, you know, he has to just fucking go against these expectations that it's his responsibility yeah so annoyed it's weird i mean as a as a side note are we just are we just accepting andre domi's back despite his allegations of domestic violence i don't i know they know. weren't <laughs> i know they weren't proved but like listen I don't know. all your faves are problematic i don't know so. <laughs> <laughs> Unrelated, but related. Yeah. About problematic faves. Um, Vicky Mochama had a column in Flair this week about um, how her problematic faves, the the monarchy, the British monarchy. Oh, yes. Um, and she's basically just has, accepts that, you know, that her faves are problematic. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I feel like that's just the world we live in. Okay. Like, well, it's like last week when we talked about Wab Canoe. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know? Yeah. No one's perfect. No, no one is perfect, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I'm perfect, so I don't yeah, know what you're talking about. Yeah, you are about. perfect. Um, okay, well, <laughs> great. So the Toronto police are racist in, in news. Is that news? I don't Breaking. know. Breaking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. All right, well, we'll move on now. Okay. Okay. All right, now we're moving on to misogynists of the week. I'm really fucking tired of having, like, the same assholes mm. be misogynists of the week. Mm-hmm. Not even the same people 
But for the same thing? The same thing, the same type of thing. Yeah. It's really boring. Yeah, it is boring. But it goes to show you, like, how fucking sexist people are. Oh, yeah. And how pervasive it is in our culture. I think it's really mm-hmm. interesting from that perspective, but boring that we keep talking about the same types of things. <laughs> it should just be called, like, well, misogynist of the week pretty much does it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we really hit the nail on the head with that title. Okay, who's our misogynist? This week's misogynist of the week is Mark Walker of North Carolina, a Republican congressman, and he referred to his female Republican colleagues as eye candy. What the fuck? So uh, the U.S. House of Representatives has a series of smaller caucuses or cockeye? (laughs) (laughs) Is that a thing? I don't know, but it should be. (laughs) Especially since there's so many dicks. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Dad jokes. Um, um, So yeah, so the House of Representatives has smaller caucuses. Um, in each of the two larger parties. So in the Republican side, they've got the Freedom Caucus, they've got the Tuesday group, and they've got the one uh, that Walker is the chairman of called the Republican Study Group. Which, like, where the fuck do these names come from? I don't know. Actually, to be fair, like, the Tuesday group, their name comes from um, the fact that they have lunch together on Tuesdays, which is is kind of cute and quaint. Do they wear pink? On Tuesdays, we wear pink. No, because that... That's Wednesdays. No, no but I'm just saying that's a female color. Oh, yeah, that's right. They're like, on Tuesdays, we wear blue. Yeah, because that's men. We're men. We're men. Anyway, so the Republican study group earlier this week presented their priorities on the steps of the Capitol, and because this uh, caucus has grown in membership over the past little while... Uh, they've decided that they need to start taking on a larger role. Hmm. So at one point in his remarks, uh, Walker says, quote, the accomplished men and women of the RSC and women. And if it wasn't sexist, I would say the RSC eye candy. But we'll leave that off the record. Anyway, these people are not attention seekers. Oh, my God. If you have to start the sentence with, if it wasn't sexist, I would say blank. Also, if you're giving remarks and making a statement and then saying, oh, we'll just leave that off the record. No. Yeah, no. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> this isn't like in court where you like strike that from the record. This is on fucking video. Yeah. And like if you're going to, yeah, if you're going to say misogynistic sexist shit, it's going on the fucking record. Yeah. And it, even if it doesn't go officially on the record, it doesn't mean you're not an asshole. Yeah. And so then like he later, he apologizes like within two hours. He's like, He says, quote, during a press event today, I made a flippant remark meant to be lighthearted, but fell short. I'm proud of the women who serve in our RSC leadership. Oh, my God. Uh, It was a flippant remark. Every time a a sexist, misogynistic comment is made, racist comment, it's always a joke. Yeah, exactly. It never is a reflection of your actual beliefs. Yeah, exactly. It's always a joke. Exactly, exactly. It's just like, okay, well, again, it's like, you know what you're going to say is wrong because you're prefacing it with, you, yeah. I'm going to say something that would be mis, like, not even misconstrued because it's quite quite clearly construed. <laughs> it's a clear construing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's just like you can't, 
like don't make flippant remarks that fall short i feel like canadian politicians have done that too there was that guy that's out in orleans and he had that um the like man fundraising night and it was like a man's poker night but it was just like uh, so off all the time they do yeah. like oh it's like a men's club we're gonna have a men's only speech yeah fuck right off yeah exactly and so like and then they're like no i'm just being flippant and it's like no that's not flippancy it's flippant to be like uh, like i can't even think of an example but that's not the definition of flippant yeah and if you're gonna like if you're gonna make a joke about it then make it like an actual one good joke mm-hmm. to say it in a joking way yeah i don't say if this wasn't sexist i would say yeah be like <laughs> Oh, those eye can't that eye candy. Ha 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 ha. Nudge nudge. Yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. Yeah, I don't fucking know. These Ugh. fucking assholes. Well, those poor women. That's probably feels well, gross to I go to work with. So they, I watched the video where he gave was giving this gave these these remarks, and he was standing there, and there were women at the front standing right beside him at the podium. Oh my god! And they all like chuckle, and I couldn't really tell if they were uncomfortable with it hmm. they're like <laughs> mm-hmm. it's kind of like back to the playboy mansion yeah like you know are you are you uncomfortable i don't know but yeah again it's like not the role of women it's the role of women to not say anything because yeah. that would be making people uncomfortable. Exactly. Like if one of his colleagues stood up and was like, "Um, excuse me." Or just like made a face. Yeah. Well, yeah, because then she'd be like, you know. Sour bitch. Yeah, exactly. Humorless bitch. Exactly, exactly. No sense of humor. Yeah, uh, yeah, she'd probably be fired. <laughs> she's in an elected, administration. She's an elected pro- pro- professional. That doesn't mean anything. It's not a phrase that actually exists, but uh, <laughs> she's elected representative. That's what I meant. Um, well, that's gross. He's gross. Ugh. Maybe. But just like... Hey, why not just call them Climate Barbie or like, you know? Yeah. Just anything, really. It's fine. Just whatever. It's all fucking <laughs> fine. Fuck everyone. Uh-huh. Well, on that note. <laughs> Stay bitchy, everyone. Um, yeah, I guess that, that about does it. Mm-hmm. So um, follow the podcast on all, all of, we're all over the internet. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Bad and Bitchy, on Instagram at Bad and Bitchy Pod. On Facebook, uh, it's facebook.com forward slash bad and be podcast. And you can email us, send us questions, send us uh, things you want us to cover um, to bad and be pod at gmail.com. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I guess, I guess that's about it. Bye. Bye. Bye.